to study the book of Proverbs is not going to be a chapter-by-chapter study. Uh, You know from your reading of the book and having read it in the past, uh, Proverbs is a collection, a huge collection, some 31 chapters of short short statements, short-to-the-point statements, and they just seem to go a little bit everywhere. So we're going to do a topical study of the book. We're going to be taking a look at individual topics and looking through the book of Proverbs and seeing how it addresses those topics for each one of us. Uh, when we talk about the Old Testament, well, actually, we talk about the Old Testament in the 60, uh, 39 books of the Old Testament. You know, we say there's what? There's five books of what? History. Is that right? Then there's, no. There five five books of history, 12 books of law. Or is it backwards? Five books of law. I knew I was going to say that. I should, should have worked on that. Five books of law, 12 books of history, and then five books of what? Poetry, but you know, it's not like the poetry that we are used to reading uh, in our American poets or some of the poets from long ago, how we, we use a lot of rhyming words and stuff like that. Hebrew poetry is different from that. So I think that you'll find that a little bit interesting. We will talk about some of that structure a little bit tonight. But those five books of poetry have also been called the five books of wisdom. Five books of wisdom because the end, it's the wisdom literature written in those books. And so when we talk about Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, uh, then we're talking about those, those five books of wisdom. It's interesting how that each one of those books has uh, teaches us about relationships, about relationships. For instance, if we study and take a look at the book of Job, we're going to find our relationship with suffering. Was suffering. You remember, of course, how Job suffered. When we take a look at the book of Psalms, we see uh, and get to study about our relationship with God. So when we take a look at the book of Proverbs, we see our relationship with others. And that's what, that's what this book is going to give us a chance to do over the quarter, is to take and see what should our relationship be with other Christians, other members of the world. When you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, we see the writer writes about relationships with things in this life. You know, of course, written by the book of, uh, written by Solomon, he would talk about he'd he'd tried all these different things in life. And he said that when he comes down, he concludes the whole matter, the, the whole thing is summed up in what? Our relationship with God and keeping his commandments. When you read about the book of Solomon, the Song of Solomon, it's about our relationships to our spouse. So, now, this, so the book of Proverbs gives us a chance to take a look at our relationships with other brothers and sisters. It is a unique book in the Old Testament in that it does not allude at all to Israel's past, present, or future. Did you ever think about that when you read the book of Proverbs? It doesn't talk about the past, present, or the future of Israel. It does not mention Israel's popular heroes. It has nothing to say about Israel's fate. It does not have any devotional material in it. It's a book that teaches us about prudent and moral behavior. Prudent and moral behavior. That's what the book is concerned about, and that's what we're going to look at. Some have said it is God's how-to manual. God's how-to manual. It teaches the skills of getting along sensibly in this life uh, while at the same time pleasing God. Think about that for a moment. It, It teaches us how to get along sensibly in life, but at the same time stay in tune with and in relationship with God. 
the word, uh, it, it, the, the, what is a proverb? Well, it comes from the word mashal, M-A-S-H-A-L, and it means a short, pithy statement which gives a true perspective of life, wisdom, or other subject matter under discussion. So while these statements are wise and truthful in the description uh, of the subject matter, they're not always seen as general truth, or they should be seen as general truth, that is, and not uh, and that may be modified. Let me give you an example of this. <clears throat> Turn, if you will, and look at Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. Most of you can probably quote this because we've heard it pretty well all of our Christian lives. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Is that always true? No. You can look at your life. I can look at my life. I can look at my kids, I can look at my relationships, and I can know, even though we do our best to train up our children the way they should go and to teach them the right from wrong, that doesn't guarantee that they're always going to stick with that, right? It's generally true, but it's not always absolutely true. Take a look at another verse, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22. I'm probably fixing to get myself in trouble here. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22 reads, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Is that always true? Like I said, I'm probably fixing to get myself in trouble, right? But, uh, it, but it's, it's a general statement, but it can be modified to certain situations. We need to keep that in mind. At exact, that's a good point. That's a good point. It did nothing to get into a lot, a lot of trouble. What? Three, was it 300 wives and 700 concubines or something like that? Huh? A wife. Well, and that's maybe that's where people are missing the point right there, Dill. Okay. Um, how about this in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 2? Chapter 29, verse 2. And think about this again. Is, is, is this always true? When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. That, that is sometimes true. That is sometimes true. Uh, but here lately, it's like it depends on whether he's a Democrat or Republican as to whether people are going to rejoice or not. Seems like. I don't know. Anyway. So that's the book that we're going to be looking at for the next quarter. And so you might be asking yourself, well, who, who wrote these Proverbs? Who wrote all these wise statements? Well, uh, we, can know, we know for a fact that Solomon wrote a number of them. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 1, if you look at chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Proverbs, it says right there in the very front, the proverb of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Also stated the same way in chapter 10, verse 1. And also in chapter 25, verse 1. So Solomon is responsible for writing a number of the Proverbs. In, in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 1, uh, and if you want to just turn over that real quickly, uh, so just kind of keep your hand in the book of Proverbs, and we'll be thumbing through it and looking at different passages uh, from different parts of the book. But in chapter 30, verse 1, the words of Agur, the son of Jacob, his utterances, this man declared... Uh, to Lithiel, uh, to Lithiel, and to Eucal. So this person who is Agur, uh, uh, who is the son of Jackal, who I, I don't know anything about, except just that right there. 
And then in chapter 31 and verse 1, we find that King Lemuel, chapter 31 and verse 1, King Lemuel, the words of King Lemuel, the utterances which his mother taught him. Here's the one thing we do know. We may not know who wrote all the Proverbs, but we know that all the writers of Proverbs were inspired men of God. We know that the book and every word in the book is inspired from the Word of God. So that's the one thing we need to remember. Let, let's take just a few moments, and, and, and this is probably not going to mean a great deal to you. There's not going to be a test afterward, uh, but I just want to give this to you. Uh, the, the book of the Proverbs themselves include a variety of structures in order to get their point across. In English poetry, we rhyme words, but the, peop, the Hebrew poets rhymed ideas. They just wanted ideas. And, and they did this in a way that is called couplets. They would link two or three things together, and, and sometimes those things will be compared. Sometimes those things will be contrasted. Sometimes those things were shown how they were very much alike. And so uh, uh, we'll take a look at a couple of these. And like I said, this is not probably going to be all that important to you. But one particular method they used for doing this was called synonymous couplet. Synonymous couplet. It's where two or three verses, they say the same thing, but in a different way. They say the same thing, but in a different way with different words. Let's look at a couple of examples then. In Proverbs chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Proverbs chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> and and I, I, I was discussing with someone a little bit before class. I would love to have people in the audience be involved in the class and read, but the problem with that is, is, is the way that we are scattered in the auditorium. Uh, from one side to the other, unless we had a microphone to pass around and you held the microphone still, people still would not be able to hear you. So uh, with your permission, I'll be doing most of the reading, okay? Without your permission, I'll still be doing most of the reading, just, just so you know. All right. Well, so chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. My son, keep my words and, my tre and treasure my commandments with you, within you. Keep my commandments and live and my law uh, as the apple of your eye. S saying pretty much the same thing, but using different words. Another example of that is found in chapter 8, the first three verses of chapter 8. And, and it reads, Does not wisdom cry out, and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of a high hill, beside the way where the paths meet. She cries out by the gates, at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. If you, if you, if you just read those two, two verses, three verses there, it just sounds like he just kind of repeated himself using some different words, exactly what he did. So that's a synonymous couplet. Another way that they did that was something called antithetical, antithetical, I can't even say that word, uh, antithetical. And so it's the idea is laying down uh, against something, then saying the same thing in a positive way and saying it in a, in a negative way, okay? So let's look at a couple of examples of that. In chapter 10 and verse 5, in chapter 10 and verse 5, note that the writer is talking about a son. But listen to what he says. He who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. 
So you see what he did there? Of course, he's still talking about the son, but one son, uh, he's talking about in a positive way, but a son doing something different is talked about in a negative way. Another example of that would be found in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 4, where it says, Wealth makes friends, but the poor is separated from his friends. So, so the idea, of course, is, is about friends, right? And he says, in one way, he says, if, if, if a person seems to have wealth, he seems to have a lot of friends, right? But what about a person who is very poor? He generally doesn't have a lot of friends, right? So he's just saying, he's just trying to get his point across uh, using these, these different ways of doing that. In Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 34, uh, we read a, another example of that. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to many people. So um, one, one way a nation is exalted, uh, if the people are choosing not to live that way in that nation, then it's going to lower that nation, and they're going to be a reproach to God himself. Okay, so that's another way they use it. A third way that is used to take a look at some of these uh, proverbs is, is, is what we call a comparison couplet. Comparison. Similar to the parable, it's laying two things down side by side and showing how they are alike, showing how they are, are very much similar. Uh, an example of that would be found in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 26. And, and think about this. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy man to those who send him. Anybody ever uh, swigged a swig of vinegar? How does it leave your teeth? It, it's hard. <laughs> so, my good sister says, I can't get past the smell, so I can't do that, right? So, but but it, leaves, it leaves your teeth harsh, right? Uh, and, and, and it's also very di difficult and damaging to the enamel in your teeth. And what about smoke in your eyes? Is that something you enjoy? You ever been around a campfire and at night and, and you were roasting? It seems to me like every time I ever try to do this, the smoke, I don't care where I move to, the smoke is going to come right to me and get in my eyes. But uh, as vinegar is to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so, so is the lazy man to those who send him. So you, you, you recommend a fellow or some friend or something to go do work, and it turns out that he's a, he doesn't do the work. He's a bum. How is that going to make people feel about him? Well, it's going to be just like getting smoke in your eyes. It's going to be an annoyance, right? It's not going to be very comfortable at all. How about this example of the comparison couplet? Chapter 11, verse 22. A ring of gold in a swine's snout. So is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. Um, you would anticipate seeing a ring of gold in a pig's nose, right? That's, that's not something you would anticipate seeing. That's like, what? What is that all about? Well, the writer of, he, of, of, of Proverbs says, well, it's just like a lovely lady, a lady who is lovely to look at, someone who is beautiful, and yet at the same time she lacks discretion. She lacks discretion. How is that going to come across? Not very good, right? kind of gives credit to that idea of not judging a book by its cover sometimes, right? Or something like that. Just because she's beautiful to look at doesn't necessarily mean that she's beautiful on the inside either. Okay, here's another example of that same uh, comparison couplet. Uh, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11. 
A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in the setting of silver. Okay, so again, it's, it's like showing how these things are alike, right? So if you stop and think about a, 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 a silver picture or a silver basket or whatever you want to call it, and inside that basket are beautiful, beautiful, solid gold apples. You can just imagine how beautiful that is, right? That would be very beautiful to hold. And the writer says that's the same way it is with a word that is fitly spoken. A word that is said at the right time, at the right place, with the right emphasis, with the right tone of voice. He said it's just like looking at that, that bowl, uh, that beautiful silver bowl with those gold apples. And it's something to be longed for, something to be enjoyed. Uh, again, laying, laying some things side by side and looking and seeing how they're like. He says, this is kind of interesting, chapter 27, verse 15. A continual drip, a dripping on a rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. We better just skip over that one. Okay. So, but think about that. You know about how aggravating a dripping faucet is? It, it, it just drives you crazy, right? Or, or something that just continues to drip, 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 and how annoying that can be. He says, well, that's pretty much like a contentious woman. They're about the same way. They're going to rub you the wrong way. The last one we'll look at as, as far as the, looking at Proverbs is this idea of contrasting uh, couplets, okay? Laying two things down and showing dissimilarity, okay? How they are different from each other. So look at uh, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 27. Chapter 29, verse 27 says, An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, and he who is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. How is, how is a righteous man going to stand out in, in, in a crowd of unrighteous people? He's not going to be welcomed, right? He's not going to be welcomed. He's not going to be looked up to. He's not going to be admired. But at the same time, how is that same sinful man looked at in a group of righteous people? Well, pretty much the same way, right? He's going to stand out. He's going to be at odds. He's not going to be in favor with the people. So, so those are some of the examples of, of how the writers of Proverbs uses to, to get their point across. Okay, so let's take a look. Let's think about how we can tackle this book. There's 31 chapters in the book, and there are many months that have 31 days, right? So it might be a good idea to, to uh, just take one chapter a day. I know we're already on, what, December the 4th, so we might need to go back and pick up a few chapters there. But if we just picked up one chapter a day and read through the book, in 31 days we could get through the reading of the entire book. A second thing we need to think about is we need to study this book with humility. With humility. The proverb could be applied to someone else. It may be that you read the, the proverbs and you say, yeah, I know, I know exactly who that's talking about. But the question is, could that same proverb be applied to you? Are to me. So uh, read carefully, and then and then prayerfully, what we should say is, Lord, help me to be more or less like the person spoken of or pictured in this particular proverb, because as we've already seen, some of the proverbs picture people in a very good light. I want to be more like those people, people who are righteous. But at the same time, some of the proverbs 
are, aren't, aren't too good, right? You don't want to be like those. So let's just make our prayer. Lord, help me to be more or less like the person spoken of or pictured here. Or we could say, Lord, help me to have or to lose the characteristics found here. Uh, throughout the book, we're going to find there are many, many characteristics spoken of that we should incorporate in our lives. And so we should pray, Lord, I want to be like that. I want to be more like that, more like that righteous person, one who's striving to do right. And at the same time, uh, if we have, if we read in the book of Proverbs, those characteristics that might not be so beautiful on us, we might want to pray, Lord, help me to lose that characteristic to get past that. No doubt, as you go through the book, you're going to find some Proverbs that really are important to you. And they, they speak to you, yet they speak to your heart. So what I would invite you to do is to underline those or to star those in some particular way so, so that you, because you probably feel that some way they, they are aimed at you, okay? And so and you want to, and it might even be that some of those are uh, what we call refrigerator verses, right? Or those that go on the stick on the mirror are those that we want to commit to memory. So yeah, as you read through the book, we'll find those. So wisdom, wisdom is the theme of the book of Proverbs. And, and I want you to think about this just for a moment. Wisdom, what is wisdom? It's the ability to see and to choose what is best. Very simple, right? Having wisdom gives one the opportunity to not only examine uh, the possibilities but and to look down the road to see how they may have an impact on your life and then make the best choice at that particular time. Uh, it, it's not difficult to choose between right and wrong, is it? Not for us. We, we see uh, in God's word, this is the right way to live. That's what we want in our lives. And, of course, if we see the things that are wrong, we say, well, that's simple. I don't want that. And, and, and you know what? The right choice, doing the right thing, is always the best choice, no doubt. When chosen, when looking at righteousness or sin, it's always a much better idea to choose righteousness. Thus, whenever you read from Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But what if you're considering several things and they're really, none of them are bad? Have you ever thought about that? Uh, maybe you've been faced with a situation like that where you had several had a, a choice to make or several choices to make, and really, in and of themselves, they were all good things to do. Well, wisdom would give us the opportunity to look at those very carefully and recognize perhaps that as we looked at them more diligently, one of them in the long run might be better for us than the other one, okay? So wisdom necessarily demands that we stop thinking short-term. In other words, stop, we stop thinking about instant gratification. That seems to be the time in which we live today, right? We're that microwave generation. We want everything right here, right now, to do it right now. But if we incorporate wisdom in our lives, we seek wisdom, and we, we seek wisdom, and we, speak, we pray to God, it gives us the opportunity to begin to look down the road, look past tomorrow, look past today, look past tomorrow. How is that going to impact me down the road? Uh, to see how various choices will turn out. It means that we're able to say this choice will turn out well versus that choice will not turn out well. 
It demands that we account for future costs and rewards in our present thinking. Uh, and, and of course, when you stop and think about how does the world, how do people in the world make decisions today? Well, that's not the way people do it, right? Uh, how do people make decisions? I, sometimes I wonder. Don't you? I mean, especially when you see what they've done or how they've chosen, you're like, what, what were they thinking? How could they possibly have made that choice? Uh, here's one thing that's an absolute. How do you get wisdom? Okay. Well, you're not going to get it through osmosis. You're not going to get it. Uh, it's going to have to be something you want and something you desire. Uh, think back about uh, Solomon. How did Solomon attain wisdom? If you, if you were to look back at the book of Kings, I think it's uh, uh, hey, Kings chapter 3, chapter 3, and this is a pretty lengthy reading. I'm not going to read it. But you remember uh, 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 the, the Lord asked, God asked Solomon what is he would like, right? And that's kind of what it is. And so Solomon says, hey, I'm just a young man. I'm a kid. I don't know, how, I don't know what's right, what's wrong. I need, you know, and so uh, he didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for long life. But because he didn't ask for wisdom or, or for riches or long life, you know, God grants him all, all three of those things. Solomon was known as the wisest man to ever live. The wisest man. In fact, when we read through the Old Testament, we'll read about people who came from all over the world, the all-known world, to listen to Solomon's wisdom. In the book of James, when you turn over to the New Testament, how does the book of how does James say we attain wisdom? He says, "What to pray for, right? To pray for." And and it, and that verse goes on to say, "And God will give it to you." So if we want the wisdom that's found in the book of Proverbs, if we want the wisdom found in God's Word, we have to study, read, and pray for it, right? And then God will grant us those things. Uh, is wisdom going to come with age? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, As we grow older, I I remember my sister saying about my mother as she grew up, you know, Mom, when when I was young, I didn't think you were very smart. But the older I get, Mom, the smarter you get. So wisdom comes with age, but at the same time, as you look around us today, we see some old people who have made some pretty foolish decisions too, right? So wisdom doesn't come by age by itself or by life experiences. Wisdom comes from studying God's word, finding out how God wants us to live, following his commandments, the wise men said, and by praying, by associating ourselves with wise people, by associating ourselves with God's people, and learning to live like he wants us to live. It sh- wisdom should be something that we should desire. We, we want to have wisdom in our lives. We, we, like we would like to be known uh, for, for being a wise person, making good choices, right? Not necessarily being a smart person or always coming up with something uh, unusual like that, but, but somebody who, is, who, who, who makes uh, who, who says good things, who offers good advice, someone who uh, can help someone else when they're trying to make a decision and help them look at uh, different ways of looking at things. And we would like to be known for that kind of a person, would you not? In other words, somebody that somebody could turn to 
and say, hey, look, I, I need help with this particular thing. I'm having a trouble making the choice. So I, I think wisdom is something that we'd like to have in, incorporated in our lives so that we could be that kind of a friend, that kind of a person, that kind of a Christian. All right, so here are some reasons for us to think about why we should crave wisdom, why we should seek wisdom and work hard at trying to attain it. Number one is because God is involved in the process. What, what did we say? What did we say at very, very, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? So the fear of the Lord, are we talking about respecting God and, and his authority and his position and holding him in awe and looking up to him, knowing that he is the creator of the world, he is the creator of mankind? Yes. That, that, that kind of, we worship God like that, right? And, and the writer says that's, that's where wisdom begins. We, 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 we turn to that, we keep that in mind, and we know that God is a part of the process. Uh, one of the things, one of the reasons we should crave wisdom is because it's, it's uh, preserving. It, it has keeping power. It has keeping power. Look, at, look if you will at chapter two of of, uh, of the book of Proverbs. And I, actually, I want to back up just a little bit uh, to that first statement that talked about God being in the process. And look at verses. Uh, 7, 8, and 9 of chapter 2. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of the saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equality, uh, equity, and every good path. So we, we want to strive for wisdom because that's that's where God is. God is wise in all things. But but he also says in having wisdom, it's going to preserve us. Look at verse 12 of chapter 2. Uh, and in some of the verses following, it says, To deliver you from the way of the evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uh, from those who leave the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked, those uh, th whose ways are crooked and whose are devious in their paths, uh, to deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. So, wisdom in and of itself, being close to God, seeking God's will, trying to find more about Him, is going to keep us from what? Well, it's going to keep us from the perverse speaker. It's, it's going to cause us to be with the right people. It's going to cause us to be with, want to be with the right people, not the people who are of the world so much, but the people who are trying to love God and live a Christian life. It, it also uh, keeps us from those who walk in the ways of darkness. Again, it helps us to walk with the right people, choose the right friends, make the right choices. It, 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 it uh, keeps us from those who rejoice in doing evil. You know, we don't want to be a partaker of those who do evil by, by being associated with them so much. Uh, it keeps those who delight in the perversity of the wicked. It keeps us from those who delight in the perversity of the wicked. It keeps us from those who are crooked and devious. Okay? Well, it sounds to me like it's going to, if we're seeking wisdom and seeking God and seeking His way and looking to His Word, it's going to, 
we have to be walking in a certain direction, right? We've got to be moving, making the right choices, looking at seeing how this association is going to affect us or impact us or being with these people how it might, have, you know, might have some kind of bearing on us. Um, it says, having wisdom will keep us from the immoral woman. Uh, wisdom means that there are some people and ideas that, that should be avoided. Look, it, it's pretty simple, right? I think it was Paul who would say that evil communication corrupts good morals, right? So if we associate with the right people, if we associate with God's people, if we make an effort to be with God's people who make good choices and who seek to do right and live right, that, that's going to be important to us to help us live that same way. But if we find ourselves associated with different kind of people, we'll also find out that uh, we might very well pick up some of those habits too. We should crave wisdom because of its inherent value, okay, because of the inherent wisdom. Having wisdom in and of itself is worth something, okay? It's worth something. Uh, in chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, if you would turn over there real quickly and, and, and just follow along with me as we read together. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things that you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days in her in her right hand, in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all the paths are peace. All her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are those who retain her. So having wisdom in and of itself is worth something. It's valuable. Uh, the writer says the man who has wisdom is going to be a happy person. It's going to be a happy person. In, in chapter 8, verses 18 through 20, he said the proceeds of having wisdom are worth more than silver and gold and rubies. Nothing can compare to with having wisdom. How about the length of her days? Well, they're going to they're gonna give one riches and honor in her hands. Her, her, her paths are pleasantness and peace. And, and in chapter 4, verse 9, we read that, uh, hear, hear my son and receive my sayings. I'm sorry. She, is, she will place on your head an armament of grace and a crown of glory she will deliver to you. Who is she? Wisdom. He's talking about wisdom. He's talking about how the wisdom, having wisdom and, and making those right decisions and be able to look at choices, make the right choices, is going to be good for you. It's going to be good for me. It's going to help us to have a better life. It's going to bring us honor and grace. And he says, in the end, it will bring us a crown of glory. Well, it certainly sounds like something I would like in my life. How about you? Yeah. We should seek wisdom because uh, it, it's, it's, it's got value in and of itself. Well, how, how hard should I work at that? How earnestly should I try to, to, to get wisdom? Okay? Uh, chapter 2, verses 4 to 5 says we should seek wisdom as if we were looking for silver or if we were looking for hidden treasure. Seek wisdom. Look, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. He said, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasure, 
then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Pretty interesting, right? Seeking wisdom, seeking wisdom is better than looking for gold, better than looking for silver. In chapter 4, verse 7, he also points that that should be a priority in our life. It should occupy a very high place in those things that we desire. So to speak, on our bucket list, right? On our bucket list, we ought to have high on that list, wisdom, seeking wisdom. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and all your gettings, get understanding. Exalt her and she will promote you. Who is she? Wisdom. Wisdom. All those things are hers. Chapter 4, verses 20 through 27 point that we should seek her with our whole being, our whole body. Not just an academic exercise, but affect every part of our life. We should, we should dedicate ourselves to learning more about God. We should dedicate ourselves to, more, to learning more about how He wants us to live and how we should be living. Uh, we should pray for, the, uh, for God to help us in making choices and to be able to look at things and see and understand how that choice is going to impact us down the road because that's what wisdom is all about. One of the things we find out is that wisdom didn't begin with man. Wisdom didn't start with the creation of man. Wisdom has been with God from the very beginning of the world. Look, if you will, in chapter 8, verses 22 through 31. God possessed wisdom before the world itself was formed. Nothing before there was even anything to even think about. God uh, possessed chapter 8, verses 22 through 31. I turned over to chapter 9. The Lord possessed me. Me? Who is is me? Wisdom. At the beginning of his way, before his works of old, I have been established from the everlasting, from the beginning, before there was even an earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth where there was no foundation or abounded with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth of the, or the fields or the, pre, uh, the primal dust of the earth, of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle in the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the foundations of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters would not traverse or transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the world, then I was beside him as a master craftsman. And I was daily, I was uh, daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his in, in inhabited world. And my delight was with the sons of men. Who was he talking about? He was talking about wisdom. Wisdom was with God from the very beginning. Very quickly, I see the group gathering together. So where where are we going to find it? Where are we going to find Where are we going to find wisdom? If it's something we should strive for, something we should pray for, we find out in chapter 2, verse 6, we find it in His Word. We find it in His Word. We, we can find wisdom in the sayings from the book of Proverbs. We actually can find wisdom from life experience, both active and passive, verses chapter 4, verses 14 through 17. And listen to this, because this is important. We can gain wisdom by listening 
watching and waiting. And by the way, those are three things that we're not very good at, are we? Listening, watching, and waiting. So let's pray together and take a look at God's Word in the book of Proverbs and be prepared next week to talk about another topic that we'll read from the book of Proverbs. Thank you for being here tonight.